Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. Hey, this is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram at I Love That Movie Podcast, and we have a Patreon. The uh, show is always free, but if you want to support us on there, you can. That's at patreon.com slash I Love That Movie. And uh, I'd like to take a moment to thank a couple of patrons, uh, Philip Barker, Michael Cross, and Josh Johnson. Thanks so much for keeping the lights on. If you do sign up, you get a weekly bonus episode of everything else I'm watching that week. So that's where all my TV shows and other things I'm watching, you can you can catch me on there. Um, now, if you like what you hear today, please subscribe and rate the show. It helps new listeners find us. But without further ado, let's get down to the show. Um, I want to welcome back a returning voice you've heard on this podcast quite a few times, and that is Scott. Say hi, Scott. Hi! I always feel so embarrassed when I do this because it's like, oh, everyone's going, oh, him again. And I'm just like... <laughs> <laughs> I doubt anyone is. Oh, that. but I love your show so much. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, we appreciate you on the show, obviously. Very much appreciate you coming back. Well, Scott, in case... I, I kind of doubt it, but in case somebody hasn't heard your voice on the show before uh would you mind introducing yourself a little bit of course my name is scott mcclellan i am the co-host of dc squadcast and the co-founder of squadcast media a podcast network devoted mainly to dc comics content across movies television and comic books i am also the co-host of the weekly youtube show the dc fanimated stream on the film junkie youtube channel where my co-host dave and i uh, pontificate, make terrible jokes, and talk about every episode of the DC Animated Universe. We are currently in the second season of Superman the Animated Series, and nice. by the time this airs, we may also be flipping back and forth between the third season of Batman the Animated Series. We're doing everything in chronological order, so we're going all the way through Justice League Unlimited. Wonderful. I love Justice League Unlimited. It's so good. <laughs> It's so good. Well, but we're not talking about that today. Today we're we're going to talk about a movie. Uh, we are in the midst of spooky season, so I've asked my guest to pick scary movies. Um, so, Scott, what, what movie did you choose to talk about today? I chose to talk about one of my absolute favorite most recent horror movies, and that is 2019's Doctor Sleep. Okay. This is a return for me. I did see Dr. Sleep when it came out. Um, I think we have two different opinions on it. However, I'm happy to report that I rewatched it. And I think I have a different opinion now than I did before. Yay! 
Um, yeah. <laughs> As happens a lot of times when you revisit something. But um, I, I guess, you know, like you said, it came out in 2019. I have so many questions. But first, I'm going to read a quick synopsis that I got, I believe, from Wikipedia. So here we go. If you haven't seen this movie before, I highly recommend pausing here, seeing it on your own, and coming back. You can watch it on HBO Max um, and a few other places. Uh, but here we or It's not called HBO Max anymore. It's called Max, but you can watch it there <laughs> or you could rent it. Uh, if you're still with us, here is the synopsis. So struggling with alcoholism, Dan Torrance remains traumatized by the sinister events that occurred at the Overlook Hotel when he was a child. His hope for a peaceful existence soon becomes shattered when he meets Abra, a teen who shares his extrasensory gift of the shine. Together, they form an unlikely alliance to battle the True Knot, a cult whose members try to feed off of the shine of innocence to become immortal. That's a really good... You always do a really good job of finding really quality synopsis. (laughs) Well, you know, if you really look back and listen, there's some episodes where I'm like, what the heck is this? (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe I edit those out. I don't know. But I usually, I don't reinvent the wheel. Somebody out there has written a really good synopsis, so I just, I leave it to them. But I appreciate that. I do think it's a very good way to summarize the movie without delving too much into everything. But I, I, yeah... So let's talk a little bit about your journey with this. Like, you know, I'm assuming you saw it in theaters. I did. Actually, I took my wife to go see it. Oh, nice. Are, are you both fans of The Shining? Uh, okay. Um, I don't think my wife is that big of a fan, or maybe she is. I really didn't ask her. I'm going to be honest with you. Um I, however, have got an opinion that's probably going to get me thrown into, like, social media jail. I know what you're going to say. I know, I know. It's okay. I'm not that big of a fan of the Shining movie. I, I... See? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not saying I don't like it. I like it. I just don't love it. And And before anyone comes at me, let me explain that this opinion I've had since the first time I saw it. I saw it in high. Okay. I saw it in high school, and I feel like the film suffered from people talking it up so much that when I yeah, find when that. I finally saw it, I was just like, "Okay," you know. Um, my opinion got even more affected when I went back and actually read Stephen King's novel. Right, because it's it's not like the novel. Not at all. Just get it out there. Right oh, away. not um, it, not at all. Yeah. Stephen King and I've read the book as well, um, but it's it's very very different from the movie that we got. exactly. Um, I have to this point, I've read the book three times. Really? Yes. Okay. Well, can you tell me a little bit about like why why do you have such a connection to the book? I, you know what? It's just so darn well written. <laughs> it's you know mm. it. I, I think what I think is what the book does that the movie doesn't do because it wasn't what Kubrick was interested in was right. King was working out his own issues with addiction and alcoholism and right. And Jack Torrance as in the portrayed in the novel is a man who is struggling. And because you get to hear some of his inner thoughts He's a man who's trying to do the right thing. And it, and you and, and it's a tragedy. It's about him struggling and failing 
because his own yeah. demons get to him. And the movie, he's basically just, you don't like him from the first time you meet him. And there's nothing, rede- like you don't see him trying to be redeemable in the course of the movie. So I feel like the right. the movie destroys that part of his character and also undermines Wendy, his wife, because the way Shelley Duvall plays her in the movie, she's just so, ah, and helpless. And and in the book, she's got some backbone. And I, I don't know. I just, I don't like the way the characters get portrayed in the film and the whole history of the Overlook and the mythology of what The Shining is gets completely left out of Kubrick's film. So, and, and then once again, I wasn't that I, I was as I wasn't in love with it when I saw the movie by itself. But it was hurt even more by reading the source material and going, "Oh, you had all of this, and you chose not to do that." Okay, so yeah, I think I have the exact opposite opinion. That's fine. <laughs> of The Shining, for me, I I feel like I think the book does a good job of portraying Stephen King's POV on his own addiction Mm -hmm. for sure his struggles I think his fear of becoming abusive because of his addiction his fears around like dark thoughts around his family because of his addiction and I respect that about it and you know portraying I think the the wife character as like you said being more of a strong presence however I don't think I feel like to me, and you could say a lot about The Shining, and there's definitely some issues with the production and all that, but I actually think that Wendy's portrayal as somebody who's who's abused is pretty accurate. Um, not to say that I've been in her shoes specifically, but I think I think that Wendy is somebody who has become so beaten down by the abuse that she's endured that that's who she ends up being. She's somebody that's so afraid, constantly on edge, has shrunk in herself and her personality in the presence of her husband because he frightens her so much. I don't think that's who she is. It's who she has like become because of the situation she's in. Um, and then I think in the movie, it's more like this is what like I think domestic violence kind of looks like you know and so it's not really portraying the character as somebody who we're looking to redeem but like showing how scary it can be just being in that situation and living with someone like that and how like she I feel like the the way she's in the movie just constantly on eggshells and like she can't ever say the right thing or do the right thing she's constantly triggering him she's so scared and she's stuck in that hotel with him I don't know I thought that was pretty pretty compelling it's definitely different from the book and it's different from what the book's trying to do. Again, the book is written from the perspective of the author, whereas I feel like the movie is almost written from the perspective almost of Wendy and she's kind of like the protagonist. So, and I think that kind of follows a formula that's in a lot of horror where like the female character is kind of the protagonist. So I don't know, it works for me and I, I like it. I also like that it's more psychological horror than supernatural, but still has supernatural in it. Whereas I think the actual book, The Shining, is really more of a, almost like a horror fantasy. Yes, I, I would agree. And and so, yes. just so different. And so, like, the things that I like about The Shining movie, 
are incredibly different from what the book is. <laughs> and I recognize that. And I really like the book too. But it is a completely different genre. And so Doctor Sleep is sort of closer to the genre that The Shining was. Definitely closer to the book Doctor Sleep. <laughs> and it's sort of marrying the two in a little, in a way. But the things that I really, really like about The Shining and Kubrick's style... It, it, you know, this is different from that. And if you can accept that about it and go like, this is, you know, this is Mike Flanagan's interpretation of it, then great. And I will say that like, after watching it again, I appreciate it more. But there's just some something to me that's incredibly special and unique about The Shining. And it's never going to match that for me. But if I didn't like those qualities of The Shining, I would see this as something better. So I totally understand why you like it so much. And I've got, have had several friends tell me like, oh, this is way better than The Shining. It's like, well, yeah, if you didn't like certain things about that movie, this is totally different from that. And therefore, it, you know, better because it's the things you like, you know. So it's, I think it's just like two different opinions. And I think that that's fine. I, I think it's well made. And like I said, I think after watching it again, I, I kind of walked away with a different impression. So. Well, and, and here's and here's where I was coming from going into Doctor Sleep, because when the movie was coming out, I was really excited for a couple of different reasons. One, I had gone down the Mike Flanagan rabbit hole on Netflix. Oh, I love his stuff. Oh yeah, my god, absolutely. And I have not I had not seen his feature films prior, but I had seen everything he did on Netflix. So yeah. I had seen Gerald's Game. I had Gerald's game is it's great. amazing. <laughs> uh, I've I'd seen the haunting of Hill House. Um, I yeah. can't remember. I think this is before Bly Manor came out. Yeah, Bly Manor is okay. It's okay, but I also learned why Bly Manor is only okay is because Flanagan was so busy working on Midnight Mass that he Midnight Mass is legendary. Oh my! Like oh my so god! Good. Yes, it's like the best thing he's ever done. I feel like I feel like Midnight Mass is like Mike Flanagan trying to do Salem's Lot without adapting Salem's Lot, and yeah, and so it's just so good. But so uh, that's why I give Bly Manor a pass in that in that regard yeah. is because he, he wasn't as involved in it. So I'm going into Doctor Sleep. Yeah, you can. So I'm going into Doctor Sleep. Going, Mike Flanagan, you demand. Like, like, like everything you've done so far. And I had, you know, of course I'd seen Gerald's game, which is another Stephen King adaptation. And, yeah. and uh, I re that was when I reread the shining for the third time getting ready. I feel like you and I talked about Gerald's game when it came out. I feel like we talked about, it. you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if, if we did like just offline, like just the two of us, Yeah, I think offline. Yeah. Um, but so I'd read the shining for the third time getting ready. And then nice. I read the doctor sleep book. Which I had in hardcover. I'd had it since the day it came out, but I just never gotten around to reading it. Spoiler alert: I own a lot of books. <laughs> you know, it, it takes me a while sometimes to get to them, and so I was really, I I think I was going into the movie really curious intellectually. Like mm -hmm. the Doctor Sleep book is a sequel to the Shining book. But Mike Flanagan has got to make a movie that adapts that book that somehow will, could function as an adaptation of that book, but also be a sequel to the movie that's completely different from The Shining book. And I'm like, right. and then I was just sitting there going, how is this going to work? 
then I saw the movie and I was like, USOP, you did it. <laughs> like it was, <laughs> it was, it was like somehow you did it. You found a way to, you found a way to, you know, you know, thread that needle of you can watch this movie with never having read the Shining novel, and you could have only have seen Kubrick's film, and the movie still works for you. Because Flanagan did the incredible thing, in my opinion, which he took all the stuff that wasn't talked about in the Shining movie, that was all in the book, and he just put it in his movie. And he yeah. and and I was like, This is amazing. This is great. And 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 and, and I do remember my wife saying it made more sense to her. Like Oh, because she, I remember now she. Yeah, I mean, the shining of the movie has lots of stuff in it that doesn't make sense. Right. <laughs> like, let's be honest. Like, it's intentionally unsettling in a way that's like meant to be a little bit disorienting and confusing. Exactly. But I remember my wife. Yeah, she did rewatch The Shining before we went to see Doctor Sleep. And after seeing Doctor Sleep, she was like, "Oh, that makes so much more sense now," because <laughs> Doctor Sleep did all the exposition work. Th yes. That the Shining had no interest. That the Shining film had no interest in doing. So it was. That's where I came in with this. Was mm. I was already a Flanagan fan, and then I'm a Stephen King fan. I mean, I'm not big on horror, but I love Stephen King. You know, explain that one. But yeah, but I I I actually think that is explainable because I feel like. Almost all of Stephen King's books have, like, this fantasy element to them, sort of a, a magicalness and an optimism, too, that I think a lot of horror doesn't necessarily have, but he usually does in his books. You know what? I have never heard someone explain it that way, and I think that is one of the most insightful explanations I have <laughs> ever <you>. heard. <laughs> I love it. Well, I just... I think because I love horror so much that a lot of the stuff I like is very, very dark horror. You know, like, I mean, I loved Hereditary and, you know, stuff like that. Um, and, and a lot of that stuff is not optimistic. I mean, it's just like 100% negative. But, like, I've always seen Stephen King. I mean, people have kind of described him as sort of like a pulpy, you know, pop culture, almost like fast food type of writing, which I disagree with, but I think they get that because it is a little bit more optimistic. I mean, you think about like even some of the, you know, well, some of the most popular stuff like it or, um, the stand you know, the body, the stand. There's so many things that he's done, but like there is always this kind of like fun in his, in his stories, even Carrie or, you know, anything like that. There's just, there's like a, a fun in there for somehow he like injects it with fun in it. And so uh, I think it makes a lot of sense that you could kind of not be a huge horror fan, but still like his work. Plus, I think horror's got a lot of genres within itself, you know, so there's kind of something for everybody. So it, I, I can understand. Well, that. I appreciate it because that because Stephen King is my flavor when it comes to horror, because I. Yeah. And and so I I love a Stephen King adaptation. Like I love I, I love I love a. I, I okay. I have to tell this story. I, it, it's a complete tangent, but it's the but it's a really funny. It's a really funny idea if you step back and think about it. My first date ever in my life in high school was to a Stephen King movie. That's honestly, if you were born in the eighties, which I believe we both were, 
that's really not that surprising. <laughs> it was. <laughs> it's just everywhere. I know. It was the Green Mile. Like. Yeah, I mean the Green Mile. Um, there's so many movies people forget about, like Shawshank, Misery. Uh, Stand by Me is one of my favorite films. Yeah, I think Misery like, was the first Stephen King adaptation I ever saw. Like, I think, nice. I think, I think Misery was my first Stephen King piece of media ever. Mm, for me, it may have been The Shining. I wouldn't. I, I would believe that because I know how much you love The yeah. Shining. I know it. It really deeply impacted me. Well, on that note, I'm gonna share a couple of quick facts about this movie. Um, and, and then we can kind of go a little bit from there. So the first thing that I had was that you kind of touched on this already, but Mike Flanagan, you know, he painstakingly recreated the sets of the Overlook Hotel from blueprints acquired from Stanley Kubrick's estate. Yes, I knew that. And it so shows in the movie. (laughs) Oh my God. Even the carpet. (laughs) Yes. And I, I feel like you can really, you know, like from some of his other stuff, like the haunting, uh at hill house and things like that you could tell he loves sets and like so that doesn't surprise me also um i had a note that stephen king first got the idea from dr sleep in 1998 at a book signing when somebody asked him what happened to danny torrance from his novel and this was a question that king had often asked himself as well like what would have happened to jack uh also, if he had found AA, you know, like how could his life have been different if he had, you know, grappled with his addiction and would Dan be, be any different? Um, when people kept asking him the question, King would jokingly say that Danny married Charlene McGee from Firestarter. But anyway, King eventually started thinking seriously about how old Danny was and what happened to Wendy. And then he decided to find the answers in a sequel. Yeah, I, and I'd heard that story as well. So I was, you know, I, it, you know, when the book came out, it's definitely one of the situations where you're like, are you really writing a sequel to The Shining? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> are, have you thought about this, Stephen? Really? <laughs> but it turned out well. And, and um, what one last thing that I was going to share is that in the Doctor Sleep novel. Andy leaves the theater showing Raiders of the Lost Ark, but in the film, uh, the theater is showing Casablanca. Yes, which and is of course, favorite the, 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 what both of them are great movies, but um, of right. course, the reason for that would be that Casablanca is a Warner Brothers movie, so they can, <laughs> and Doctor Sleep is a Warner Brothers movie, so you know, ta-da! Kind of like how in Ready Player One, they had to substitute War Games for The Shining of all things, because That's funny. because of movie rights. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've talked a little bit about some quick facts. We've talked a little bit about Mike Flanagan himself. Do you want to talk a little bit about the cast? Absolutely, because that's another. That was another draw for me when it came to this mm. movie, particularly our two adult leads. Um, mm-hmm. I'm fans, so you know, let's go. Yeah, uh, let's talk about Ewan McGregor as Dan Torrance. You know what? I the only thing that I think I find distracting, and it's not even that he does it badly. It's just because I know what his real voice sounds like. It's just him talking in American accent the whole movie. <laughs> it's it's weird. I, I there are times when I'm like, I can't decide how I feel about Dan. Like I'm like, is he too muted? Is he too? I mean, he's just he's very serious and like. I don't know what I expected an adult Dan Torrance to be like, but for somehow it, it wasn't this. And so that kind of, I had to kind of get used to that a little bit. 
Yeah, and I think going back to your point about how Kubrick decided to portray Wendy in the Shining movie, mm-hmm. I think you have to think about, well, you're talking about a man who as a five-year-old boy went through oh dear god what he went through right it's like he's not going to be like that little boy so i don't know what exactly i was expecting but you know from five to 45 that's a huge leap exactly so i think it's just the idea that he he's traumatized he Mm -hmm. is an abuse victim he survived you know soul eating ghosts in a dreaded hotel and you know got attacked by his own father you know it it's like and also the idea that his gift continues to haunt him even after that it's like yeah. he's doing he's doing everything not to shine and, and that's a point they make in the movie so the quiet mutedness i think is just i don't know it it's understandable, and I think Ewan does a really good job with that. Well, he's a great actor. Oh, he's a fabulous and actor. I have another comment. Are Ewan McGregor and Rebecca Ferguson both Irish? Uh, Ewan McGregor is Scottish. Oh, he's Scottish? And oh, uh, I knew as soon as I said that I had said something wrong. Sorry to all my Scottish listeners. Sorry, Steve. And you want to know the, the funny thing? <laughs> Rebecca Ferguson is Swedish. Really? She, oh, I really thought she was Irish like this whole time. Because <laughs> I feel like she's always playing somebody Irish. No, um, she's playing. I mean, Rose, I think, is supposed to have some sort of Irish uh, background to her, based on what mm. I can kind of remember from the book. It's been a it's been a hot minute since I read the book. But no, Rebecca Ferguson was actually born in Sweden, but raised in England. So that's why she's got a. When you hear her talk, she actually has, has an English accent. But she was born mm, in Sweden. Okay. So that's a. Okay. Yeah. Well, good to know. <laughs> um, go ahead. Sorry. I feel like you're about to say something. Well, I just, I, I think Ewan McGregor is such a talented actor who also, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, also has fabulous hair. Like, that's another, <laughs> he does. <laughs> it's, he does. It's, a, it's a weird quirk, but I always recognize fabulous hair. And as someone who doesn't <laughs> have much himself. Um, but I, I think the thing that Ewan McGregor brings to this role is he, he does bring that quiet mutedness, but mm-hmm. there's also a fatherly protectiveness in him. Yeah, I think they address that really well in the movie, too. How so? I'm kind of curious. Like, where, where, where do you get that vibe? Well, you know, I think his relationship with Abra obviously mirrors the relationship that Danny and Dick Holleran had. And I even think the choice to cast a woman of color as Abra is kind of a nice end cap too. Cause it's like, you know, in the first movie it was like an older black gentleman and a young white kid. And now it's kind of like the reverse of that. You know, I didn't I even, that's kind of neat. That is neat. I didn't even think about that. I feel like it, you know, I, I, I remember reading or, and thinking that in the uh, in the movie The Shining, I don't know. I I always felt like if you ever watch like any behind the scenes of that movie, the way that um, Scatman Crothers cared so deeply for the actor that portrayed Danny, I found that very touching. I remember he he's like misty eyed talking about it, and 
uh, talking about what a special time he had on that movie. I feel like I'm going on a tangent here. But anyway, I felt like that character had more to give than you actually get in the movie Holleran does. And he's more important in the book. He's very much more and important s- in the book. I Yes. Yeah. He's not just like some magical guy that's like, oh, shining. You know, he, he's like really involved. And so I feel like by making the main, the new Danny character a young um, woman of color, I feel like was a good idea to kind of, you know, have more to do for a character like that in a movie that maybe wasn't as diverse. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I like that. And then the relationship is just, you know, he, he addresses it. I do think that like first, most audiences, you're. He says it in the movie. He's like an adult man and a teenage girl. Like, Ugh. yeah, yeah. When they're sitting, when that. they're sitting on the park bench. Yeah. Yes, I. Yeah, he's like, and I'm like, yeah. We would all think that if we saw like a 45 year old man and like a teenager, we'd all be like, what's going on there? Should I intervene? But I feel like he, he does a good job of addressing that, and he comes across as fatherly. And then we know his relationship with someone that he was not related to as a child. And so you can kind of see how he's like recreating that relationship. And I think the audience like accepts it because of that, you know? Yes. I don't know. I, I thought he, I thought he, they tackled that pretty well in the movie. And I also think that, you know, kind of to my point of what I like about Jack Torrance's portrayal in the novel, The Shining, I, I think you have to get an actor like Ewan McGregor to play Danny the way he does because when we first get introduced to adult Danny it's a terrible situation that he does not react to well at all and yet we're allowed to go on the journey with him as he wants like like there's even a line in the movie you know the question is do you want are you sick and tired of being sick and tired he says that to he yeah. says that to Bill, uh, Billy says that to him, and then he says that you know that that line that a recovering alcoholic always has to say, which is, "I need help," because the yeah. first step of getting help is having to admit that you need it, and yet there's a moment, and because you got you McGregor there playing that role, you know he needs help, but the way you and McGregor portrays it, it's like we're rooting for it, like we want you to get better. Like, we, we want this for you. I think there's an empathy that I feel for Danny that I struggle to feel for Jack, if I'm honest. No, I, I don't I, know if that's just, yeah. like, the setting and, like, we don't get to know Jack as much as we get to know Danny. But, like, I know that Jack, as a character, he must have gone through something traumatic as a child as well that made him turn out the way that he did. But... I just felt less empathy for him, you know, and, and, but then Danny as an adult, it's like, I saw him go through all that trauma. So I, I have an easier time relating to him as a character, you know? Oh no, I completely agree. And I'm like, again, I said, all credit to you McGregor for the way that he portrays oh, yeah. it in this film. Yeah. And do you feel too that, um, you know, it, 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 it I think it accurately, not accurately. I mean, I don't, know what this is like but i i really buy his redemption a lot more somehow than i did i think even in the shining like i feel like danny really breaks the the cycle Mm -hmm. as a character and i like like you said i mean you root for him yes you do well i think because 
in it, and I'm talking from the perspective of the novel of The Shining, Jack never mm-hmm. breaks the cycle. He tries, but he fails. He kind of does in death a little yes, bit. He, it's like you you can forgive him in death, but he doesn't do it in his Well, life. you don't even really forgive him. It's just like, it, it's more of a, good, you did that. That's the least you could have done. Yeah, it's like kind of like, I don't know, like Darth Vader at the very end where you're like, well, he's not a good person, but at least he loved his son, you know, and he did one or two good things. I exactly. Guess. And so I know I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm not saying that Jack is a good person. I'm just saying yeah. that there's more of a struggle in the book. Yes. He's more layered. He's more layered. He's not, yes. Yeah. And so, but no, Danny is entirely more empathetic and sympathetic. Absolutely. There's no question about that. And who plays, is Jack in the movie, is it Henry it's Thomas? It's Henry Thomas, yes. It's so crazy. Like, when when I saw this movie the first time, I, I didn't realize that at all. And, and, and I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, what? It's Elliot. <laughs> well, because, because Mike Flanagan does that thing that I, that, yes. that auteur directors, and I'm going to call Flanagan an auteur, but, you know, where he has a... He has a troop. Like, there are just certain actors who are just going to, even if they're little bit parts, he has his cast that's going to show up in everything, one way or another. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's even got, um, what's his name in this, too? Uh, Bruce, Bruce Greenwood is the doctor. Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So the only one who's missing is his wife, Kate Siegel. Yeah. I know. It's like, oh, Kate's missing. <laughs> he puts her in a lot of stuff. He does put her in a lot of stuff. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Speaking of screen wives, let's talk about Rebecca Ferguson. (laughs) Your screen wife. She is a screen wife. I I have. (laughs) You know, it's it's funny. I have friends who make complete fun of me for this because they know how much I crush on Rebecca (laughs) Ferguson. Um, But you know, there there was that concept from the Friends TV show called the Hall Pass. You know, the idea of like Mm -hmm. people who you're like. Are on a list. If you had the chance, your your significant other would just go, "Yes, honey, I understand." <laughs> and you know, <laughs> and, and and I have screen wives, as I call them, and Rebecca Ferguson is one of them. What can I say? She is vaguely Carla Gugino ish to me. Like Ooh. I think that he hired her because he kind of does. She kind of does look like his wife. I don't know, like a little bit. There's there's something in the eyes. I don't know. Ah. Uh. But she's a great villain in this movie. Oh, I think. God. She's a character here like, you are so sexy yeah. and I am scared of you to the death at the same time. Yeah, sexy, but, you know, age appropriate. <laughs> like, she seems like an adult, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, um, And I think when you have villains, they've kind of got to be on equal footing with the main character. I love how she calls him handsome, like, the whole movie. Because, I mean, it is Ewan McGregor. He is handsome. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and I don't think they're equal. I totally think that she, I mean, she's more powerful than he is. I, you know, I... Oh, for absolutely. sure. That's true. But I, I guess I mean, you know how, I don't know. She's not an unimposing villain. I oh, no, she, she is a very it. imposing villain. Like, from yeah. the, I mean, we meet her before we meet Danny. Like, the movie opens with her doing a awful thing and i i thought that was like what an amazing thing to like oh no we're gonna meet our villain first Mm -hmm. and and you're gonna see her kill a child and and 
And not the first time. It's the first time. It's not the last time you're going to see that happen in this movie. And we're going to talk about that scene. We we have to talk about that scene. Um, but uh, but Rebecca Ferguson just it, it's just this. It's like you believe how you can see how she would have this cult of personality. Like why all mm-hmm. these members of the True Knot would follow her. But then you could also yeah. see how she could lure a child because that first scene with Violet, the little girl. Yeah. And it's just so believable. And you're just like, oh, like it, it, it is that seductive evil. It's, it, mm-hmm. you know, she doesn't. Well, and she's pretty mm-hmm. and she looks normal. And like, I feel like children are really socialized to be, like, afraid of strangers, but usually male strangers. And so I feel like kids would get, like, tricked by her because they're not on the lookout for someone like her. I I think that's a great point. And I think, to Stephen King's credit, that's what makes it scary. Yeah, because she seems normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you said, but, we're, we're on the lookout for strange men, older men, but mm-hmm. we're not on the lookout for a beautiful, you know, 30-something... 30, 40, in a hat. In a hat. <laughs> um, what do you think about the knot, like as a concept, that that cult? I, uh, the part that really sunk into me was when I went, oh, they're just psychic vampires. Yeah, I really like that idea. I mean, you know, in The Shining, you know, they establish the idea that there's, that pe- people have this gift, that multiple people have this gift. And so it does set up sort of a, a universe where, yeah, there would be good people and bad people with that gift. Like, I like that. Oh, yeah. Well, and then also the the book and the movie of The Shining established that that energy can be used for good or for evil. Because, like, the hotel right. basically Is evil, it, yeah. it became an entity. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it was a psychic entity of its own. And, and they make that point in the movie that the true not are just doing what the hotel did. Yeah, yeah, they're just people running around doing it instead of the hotel. Exactly. Yeah. So that I, I, so the concept of the true not. I also, philosophically, the true not also offer a great antithesis to something that Danny does, because mm-hmm. the. The the book, the movie, is called Dr. Sleep. That's a nickname that Danny gets when he works as an orderly at a hospice, where yeah. when he finally embraces his gift to a certain extent is that he's helping the transition to, to death for these older mm-hmm. people. And it's all about, it's okay. Go to sleep. Yeah, and it's like they have peace, whereas like the monsters or the the souls in the hotel did not. And maybe he can like help people not become these evil entities by helping them pass peacefully, I guess. Exactly. And also knowing that, you know, it's okay. We're all going to die. It's not not something to be afraid of, which is then juxtaposed Mm -hmm. by the true not. That they talk about they feed on fear and they're and Yeah, they want you to be they want you to be afraid. But ultimately, why are they doing what they're doing? Because they are scared to death of dying. and Yeah, because it, it gives them immortality, right? Like the more souls they suck, they stay alive they longer. They stay alive longer, yes. But yeah. we see in the movie that when they die, it is screaming and wailing and gnashing. And it is a terrifying, 
uh, you know, painful process. Good. I, I <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but once again, it's that juxtaposition, and I can't remember if it was King or Flanagan who helped point this out. But it's the people who are so afraid of dying that will do anything to stay alive that when they do die, it is the scariest, most painful thing. But if you're just a normal person who just goes about the natural course of your life, death can be this wonderful, peaceful transition to the next stage. And I feel like the movie does a really good job of, without hanging a lantern on it, showing the difference between our good guys and our bad guys. Yeah, and I think, too, like I had read Flanagan was going through a, a, a personal loss. And I feel like you can feel that in the movie. Oh, absolutely. Um, It's infused by someone who knows what this is like to go through. Yeah, and I think he struggled with addiction, too. And I feel like that theme comes up in his work kind of a lot. Like in The Haunting of Hill House, there's addiction and death and grieving. Like, I mean, I guess because he's dealing with horror probably, too, but... Um, I, I do think he tackles that pretty well. I agree. So that's I, I think that's the cool thing about the true not is that it's a completely different take on vampires in a way. Yeah, but I like that. I like and it feels very Stephen. It King, feels right? very. Like he's always coming up with these kind of unique new ideas um, that feel like they're in his world, <laughs> but also metaphorically significant by yeah. by by balancing the two sides off of each other. And I think when you yeah. talked about Stephen King having optimism, I think that's it. The good guys always end up winning. It, yeah. I Yeah. And that's why even in The Shining, like, you know, his dad is abusive and, al- and an alcoholic, but he has kind of an almost unrealistic redemption at the end. See, I, but I think that's because he is more optimistic, you know, that like you can get through stuff. Yeah. I think, I think uh, because I don't feel like he has any redemption in the movie and I, th- no, 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 in the book, in only. the book only. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but you're right. It, it's, I think it's because he's willing to sacrifice himself at the end of the book. That's his redemption. Yes. It, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it's finally, he makes a sacrifice. Right. He's he's he becomes less selfish. Yes. Because, I mean, you know, they, they make a point about addiction being kind of selfish, mm-hmm. you know. And so, yeah, I, I I can see I can see why people like that more, especially if you're not really into horror or you don't like how dark it can be. Like, I think Stephen King, you know, just provides like a kind of like a happy ending a lot of times. That I know it's weird to think that, that, but yes, you do get a quote-unquote happy ending at, at the end of most Stephen King stories. Yeah, or like if, if you've watched like the miniseries which I actually didn't like, but No, um, and I, I, you know, like yeah, the, Yes, I, I know, yes, I, I agree it's, it, 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 the bushes coming to life and stuff, like that was in the book, but it just, it didn't, I think people were just like me, they were a little too married to like if, if, if the Kubrick film hadn't come out, it's a lot easier to digest so I feel like Dr. Sleep does this really well because it kind of like pays homage to that, but it it is more like magical and fun and very much like the stuff Mike Flanagan makes anyway. So I don't know. Just all those elements are there. Exactly. I I think, I think that's it. You know, that's it. Now I have to ask because I made a request Mm -hmm. of you and I'm curious, did you watch the director's cut this time around? 
so I tried to. I I looked it up on iTunes and on HBO Max, and I read online that that you could watch both the theatrical and the director's cut. And I'm just going to be honest with you, I'm not sure which one I've watched because this is only the second time I've ever seen this film. Um, so I don't... Can you tell me, like, what's different in the director's cut? And I'll tell you if I got to see it Okay, so here's the, uh, here's the thing. Um, where did you... Did you watch it on iTunes? Or did you watch it on Max? I watched it on Max. Max only has the theatrical. Okay. Um, then Google lied to me. Uh, I'm sorry. No, it's fine. Uh, Unless it's okay, here's the deal: the director's cut is three hours long. It's thirty minutes longer than. Okay, I don't think it was three hours. Okay, and also uh, the weird thing about the director's cut is that I I saw the theatrical cut one time in theater, and then when it came out on home video, I immediately watched the director's cut. Okay, it is a weird thing that. Unlike other movies that I enjoy where there's a director's cut and they throw in like 30 more minutes, I feel like in those films, it's like, wow, this 30 minutes made this gigantic difference. Or I can tell you where all the 30 minutes are that that were missing from the theatrical. And there's something about the director's cut of Dr. Sleep that I can't tell you where the 30 minutes are because it all just <laughs> it all just holds together. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to see it again, it sounds like. But I really did try. And and I just, I looked everywhere and it wasn't, I wonder if at one point they did offer two versions on Max or something. I think they've done that before. They they have done that before. Um, Yeah, because if you get on iTunes or on Voodoo, I was watching on Voodoo, um, it's in the special features. Uh, Okay, so I would have had to purchase it. You would have had to have purchased it. Okay. And and it's only in HD because even I bought the 4K home release Interesting. and the theatricals in 4K, but the uh, the director's cut, which is on a separate disc, is only in uh, 1080 HD. All right. Well, you'll know that I dedicate a lot to the show, but I'm, I, you know, I can't buy every movie. <laughs> so I guess in this case, hopefully you can forgive me. Oh, I'm of sorry. course I can. There is a cool thing, though. <laughs> that the director's cut does that's noticeable, even if I can't okay. point out the, where the 30 extra minutes of footage is, because once again, it's so okay. seamless. There yeah. are chapter cards. Ooh, I like that, because the Kubrick film had that. Well, and all the chapter cards are the names of chapters from the Doctor Sleep book. Oh, wow. Except the final act... Because we'll talk about that. He uses a chapter title from The Shining. Nice. But it actually will come up and say, chapter one. And Ooh. and it will name a, you know, like would be in the Stephen King novel, a thematic, uh, you know, section of the movie with the title mm-hmm. that Stephen King used in the book. Nice. So there's, so there's like empty devils. Turn world, parlor tricks, and if you're familiar with the if you're fam- even familiar with the movie, you might recognize what part of the movie I'm talking about, just by the mm-hmm. chapter titles. And Flanagan inserts those into the movie, so the movie's divided into these chapters. Oh, nice! So that's a real that that's the most noticeable thing that you'll see about the director's cut. Okay. okay. Well, I guess let's transition into then talking a little bit about, can you pick like 
maybe I, I don't know if we'll have time to go through all of the best scenes, but maybe a couple of the scenes that you like the most. Absolutely. Um, I, I got three I'd like to talk about. Okay. Okay. The first off, and this is a this is a horrible thing to start with, but we I feel like we have to talk <laughs> about the baseball boy scene. Yeah. Because that scene is the one scene in this movie that when I saw this sucker in theaters, it made my flesh crawl. Yeah. And I don't know if it's different for people who are parents when they watch that scene. Uh, yeah. But I'm going to tell you, as a mom and a dad, my wife and I, because by that point we had had two of our three children. Mm-hmm. And... Oh, dear God, that scene scares the ever-loving crap out of you if you have kids. Oof. Um, just the idea, because the knot looks so monstrous when mm-hmm. they feel, like, because they, they move in a pack, and, and, they're, and they're killing a kid, and even so much... Yeah, that is brutal. Like, I feel like you don't see that in movies a lot. Like, it's... Like, it's pretty chill. I wasn't sure if they were like, it's in the book, but it was one of those scenes that's like, are they actually going to do this? Like, sometimes yeah. you're like, movies will shy away from things because they don't think you'll hit with the audience. And, yeah, and I'm like, it's a bold choice. And I'm like, wow, you went there. <laughs> and it is, it is, in my opinion, the single most horrific scene in the movie. And if you want to, if you, if you yeah. want to call this a horror movie, that's yeah. the horror scene in this movie. And also when they like suck the souls and like, you know, breathe into each other's mouths and stuff. I feel like, I always feel like it looks like they're doing drugs. Like it looks like they're no, doing like meth. Absolutely. No, I, I, it's not just drugs. It's also like sex. Yeah. It's like, very, it's an orgy. They're having, an, yeah. they're having a death orgy. Yeah. It is like really chill. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, now I did read a I did read a behind the scenes story about the filming of that scene. That apparently mm-hmm. after they did it, because you know the the actor who's playing the baseball boy, he is screaming and he is like he's doing a fantastic job of of acting his little heart out in this scene. <laughs> and apparently, all the adult actors, all the actors playing the true knot, would be just so like when Flanagan would call cut. They would all just like be so like uncomfortable and like like they yeah, were disturbed by what they were doing. And the kid would get up and go like, Hey everybody, how you doing? Like he he was able to bring everybody back because he was just having fun. Yeah, he's probably gonna watch it as an adult and be like, Oh my god. <laughs> I, I I was overselling this. <laughs> but but I thought that was an interesting thing that even the actors were disturbed by the scene they were yeah. doing. But then the child was the one who was just... He's like, this is pretend. This is pretend. I guess kids pretend a lot. You know, maybe that's why. (laughs) So I I always thought that was an interesting behind-the-scenes story about that that scene. Because it's also, like, such an important moment in the movie. Because it's Mm -hmm. when Rose finds out about Abra. And it's also kind of the turning point in Abra and Danny's relationship because, you know, Mm -hmm. she has that psychic wave that, you know, even puts the red rum, like the red rum callback on, on Danny's wall. So I feel like it's just, 
it's a pivotal scene because it's the one truly horrific scene in this movie. And yeah. it's a turning point for the story. I agree. Um, the other, the ne- the second scene I loved, it, it's in Turn World. It's, it's actually, you know, where the, the title of the chapter comes from. But that awesome scene where Rose goes into that trance to track down Abra. And Abra's got the trap waiting for her. But just, like, just that imagery of when she kind of, like, her spirit, like, goes up into the sky and, like, yeah. she's staying in one place. It's the world that's revolving, you know, her. And and that, mm-hmm. and if you've read the Dr. Sleep novel, it's very similar to, it's different, but similar to the way that King uh, describes the idea of, like, uh, almost like a Lazy Susan or a turntable. Uh, is how they, like, yeah. do this, like, tracking of each other through The Shining. And I just thought the visuals, like, I've read that there was a mixture of, there were some visual effects, but there's also some practical effects going on. And I feel like it shows and it makes it look mm-hmm. cooler, especially like the lighting when Rose yeah. lands in Abra's room. Like, it's very theat, it's, it's intentionally theatrical. It, it's yeah. not movie lighting, it's theater lighting. Like the giant spotlight mm-hmm. that shines down on her when she gets trapped. Uh, I just think technically that it's just such a well shot scene. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I mean, what were your thoughts when you saw that? Like, were you, I don't know. Did you have as strong as a react as a reaction as I did? Or am, am I just nerding uh, do out? Do you mean to the baseball scene thing or to this, to this. scene? Um, I, yeah, I really like the way they portrayed like using their powers um, because I always think that's hard to show, like, especially when they're kind of like psychic powers, mm-hmm. you know, or it's supposed to be like in their mind. And I think the choice to, especially the choice to like have all those scenes in the hotel, which I feel like aren't in the book, right? Uh, the the scene of the overlook. Oh, when we get stuff. to the overlook. Oh, oh, oh no. Yeah. Oh, no. Um, we'll talk about that because the overlook is where I'm going next. So. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'll I'll stay where we were then. Um, I agree that it looked really neat. I don't think it it stuck out to me as much as it did you, but it it definitely stuck out to me a great deal. Yeah, I think that's just me because once again, all I'd ever seen of Flanagan was his Netflix stuff. So yeah, it's like this is what he can do when he has a big budget, exactly. Basically. And I'm like, yeah, and I was yeah. impressed. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh. But yeah, my final thing I want to talk about is that entire section at the end of the movie that takes place at the Overlook. Those are my favorite scenes, obviously. Obviously. But I think the the one that sticks out to me the most or my my probably my favorite scene of the whole movie is like the bar scene. Um where he's with his dad and his dad has replaced Lloyd, he even calls himself Lloyd now because that scene from the original The Shining movie was one of my favorite scenes. For some reason, when he's at the bar and also, like, the party, that is, like, my favorite part of The Shining. So, like, this nod to that, and now his dad is is the new bartender and is, I don't know, just the whole conversation they have. And then the the big change, you know, that Danny doesn't drink in that moment is just, I don't know, it's really good. I really like that. The thing that I find incredible about the entire Overlook sequence 
in Dr. Sleep. And here's where I'm going to get into mm-hmm. massive spoiler territory for books, movies, the whole <laughs> shebang. Yeah. Is that... Do it. The Overlook scenes are not in the book of Dr. Sleep. Yeah. Because the Overlook gets blown up at the end of The Shining book. Right. What Mike Flanagan did is he took the ending of The Shining from the novel... And since Kubrick didn't use it, Flanagan said, well, why wait? A, why let a great ending go to waste? And he gives the ending of the Shining novel to his movie. Yeah, you're right. Right. So, that, yeah. so that's one of those places where up until this point, the Doctor Sleep movie has been an incredibly faithful adaptation of the Doctor Sleep mm-hmm. novel. Until this point, because the ending of the novel doesn't work with the way the Kubrick movie ended. Right. And this is where I thought Flanagan was so creative and like, well, how about mm-hmm. I just merge the two? And Yeah, no, I agree. And this is where, you know, you talk about the fact that Flanagan found the blueprints and reconstructed the hotel set. And, I mean, even so much as that, like, when... Rose is in the lobby coming after Danny. They are beat for beat mimicking what uh, Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall did in The Shining. Yes. Like I've seen and I love it. I've seen the side by side comparisons and it is incredible. <laughs> like how Yeah, I mean you you gotta love the movie for that, for sure. Oh my god. You know? Yeah, it's it's so it's so good. And there is something so satisfying when Danny opens all his boxes and just lets those yeah. go. Like when you see Rose get it, you're just, you're just like, yes, <laughs> yes, it's so good. Yeah, I I have to say, like the first time I saw this movie, I think there was a part of me that was kind of, I don't know. I think I was just being a brat in the sense that you know I love the shining so much that nothing can kind of come close to it. I mean, it's just like my Holy grail. Um, so I had a hard time really appreciating this film, but I think as time has worn on, I've seen more of Mike Flanagan's stuff. I, I think I look back at it differently. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have to admit you are being much more generous to the film than I thought you were going to be based on some, (laughs) some text conversations that we had. And I was just like, Oh, this is going to be an interesting recording. And you know I'm not gonna like shit on it. I mean, it's just not my style anyway. <laughs> no, you're not. I mean, I and you have shown that you know in in the past. But I I I'm yeah. I'm glad you had a greater <laughs> appreciation for this film. But I just I I think because what it ultimately boils down to is Flanagan, you son of a bitch, you did it. You really yeah. y- you found you found a way to make this work for anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, whether you've seen the movie, read the book, or did both, you did it. Yeah. And I I just tipped my hat. And also, just made a good movie. I, like, made a really yeah. good movie. And But you're right. It's hard to please, like, new fans and old fans. And I think he did that pretty well. I think so, too, because when the movie came out, it did not do financially well. Why you release a horror movie in February, I have no idea. Um, yeah, that didn't make sense to me, but, you know. And so, financially, it did not do well. 
but everyone who mm-hmm. did see it, like, people appreciate this movie. Yeah, I've only really heard good. I've I've actually never even seen someone online say they didn't like it. So. Oh, there's always somebody online who's gonna say something. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, it's the true. internet, but it's just a well-made movie. And you know, mm-hmm. like I said, when you do get a chance to watch the director's cut, it you know it's mm-hmm. a good three hours. Like I said, you'll struggle, except for the chapter cards, you'll have a really hard time trying to figure out where the 30 minutes is because it all just hangs together. It's just so good. And it does have a moment from the Dr. Sleep book because they do go back to the Mm -hmm. overlook in the book. It's just that, you know, the hotel's burned down. Like they go back to the grounds, you know, and but you do get that moment where Danny gets to reconcile with his father in a way, mm-hmm. and it, it it's a little bit it's a little bit more you know you know the the book makes it a little bit more ambiguous I think than the movie does I think the movie like like lets you in on the secret about what's going on. Um, even though the way the end of the Shining movie goes, I'm trying to reconcile how does Jack's spirit, like, what was the turnaround? Like, there was like there was no redemption for Jack in the movie, so how does the redemption work mm-hmm. in this movie? That's the one part that doesn't quite work for me when I know how the book ends versus how the movie ends. I, I could see that. Did, I mean, did it work for you and did you, like, can you reconcile it as someone who, in your case, is a bigger fan of the movie than I am? Yeah, because I feel that this is Mike Flanagan's interpretation. Even though he's taking imagery from the Kubrick film and paying homage to that, it's his film to me. So I I can accept okay. it. Okay, good. It's It's his interpretation, you know, and so it doesn't. It doesn't have to make sense with the first movie for me. Okay, good. Because I just like I just like the movie. So, <laughs> yay. Yeah. So, but I. Well, it's 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 impossible for me to not like. I I think it's, it's hard for me to not like something Mike Flanagan does, and then, I mean it's, it, it's paying homage a lot to a movie that I love. So like even though it's different and it's not my favorite, I mean, I, I'm still gonna like it. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> If that makes sense. And and I'm sure it's no I'm sure it's no um surprise to you that I enjoy this movie much more than I do the Shining film. However, right. I mean, that's fine. I will say, and I think this might be another shocking statement. I think the movie of Doctor Sleep is better than the book. I don't think I've read the book Doctor Sleep. I was thinking about that while we were talking about this. Maybe I did and I don't remember. I know I read The Shining, but I don't think I don't know if I read Doctor Sleep. Maybe I did. I I'm just going to say that I th- I'll have to look at my iPad. <laughs> I just think that what Flanagan did in the adaptation is a cleaner telling of the story than even King did in his novel. And wow. so like where I will go back and I, like I don't read read books a whole lot because I have so many other books to read. So that says something when I say I've read The Shining three times. Uh, yeah, obviously. You obviously. Like <laughs> um, and I'll revisit the book more than I would revisit the movie where with Dr. Sleep, I would revisit the movie 
uh, way sooner than I would revisit the novel. So for me, as being the book nerd that I am, that's a that's a tremendous compliment from my point of view. Okay, I'm going through my books, at least on my iPad, and it is not on here. So I don't think I've read it, but I would have to go through, look at my physical books as well. Okay. So stay tuned. Ooh. <laughs> cliffhanger. But yeah, cliffhanger. Um well nice. Okay, well is there anything I know you talked about your three favorite scenes, but is there anything else about the film that we haven't touched on yet that you were hoping to cover? No, I think we we nailed it. I think because we did such a great introduction, I think that's where I got I got everything out at the beginning. So there's yeah, yeah, I almost feel like the setup of what we were about to talk about, we were both really interested in. You know, it's like we like the movie, but there's so much around it that we wanted well, to. Well, there's talk. so much history. And and I think the history is so important because a lot of times, and I think this has borne itself out in a lot of conversations we've had, especially when I bring a movie to this podcast, it's the mm-hmm. history that I have with a character or a franchise or a book or a movie that really informs why the movie means so much to me. That makes sense. And I, I that actually answers one of my questions for you already. Of, you know, why do you watch this movie? Why have you seen it more than once? You know, why do you keep reading The Shining? Like, what is it about it that you keep coming back to? And like I said, the, the book The Shining is just legitimately scares the crap out of me. Like, like the way the movie doesn't scare me, the book Mm-hmm. scares me because of yeah. this because i can get inside the characters heads and the psychological yeah. under like what the thought those dark thoughts like that's what scares me more yeah. and every time i reread it you know i was single then i was dating i, I was dating and then i was a father you know it was just like as i transitioned yeah. in my life it's one of those books that like as you get older and you have kids the book becomes scarier to you. Uh, That makes sense. And so Dr. Sleep just sort of carries that on. But then with the movie, you just get a incredible hurricane, perfect storm of how is Flanagan going to pull this off? And he does. Yeah, absolutely. How would you advertise this to someone that may not have, you know, that hasn't seen this movie before, like, what would you say to get them? I would honestly say, I mean, one, you can't watch this without having either read or seen The Shining. So I I think my elevator pitch is, have you read The Shining? Have you seen The Shining? Great. Here's a sequel. What happens? What happens to Danny? That's pretty good. I mean, because once again, the movie can please either one. Whether you've read the book or seen Mm -hmm. the movie. It means something. Yeah. It can mean something for someone on a different level, but it, it has no. The only person it would have no meaning to is someone who has not experienced the shining in any form. That's true. It, it's kind of hard to avoid the shining, like culturally, I think. But if you have, probably need to at least watch that first, or read it first, or something. Something. I agree. Yes. Before delving into Dr. Sleep. Yeah, 100%. Well, as usual, Scott, thank you so much for coming on and always appreciate having you. Um, 
Is there anything you want to plug before you go? I already did all my plugging really at the beginning, but once yeah. again, um, you can subscribe to my podcast, the DC Squadcast, on any podcatcher of your choice. If you can find I Love That Movie, you can find DC Squadcast. And then 9 o'clock Sunday nights at the Film Junkie YouTube channel. That is where you can find the DC Fanimated stream. Um, I'm not really sure when this episode will be dropping, but like I said, if you want to see two nerds talk about Superman, the animated <laughs> series, or Batman, the animated series, 9 o'clock Central Time on the Film Junkie YouTube channel, Sunday nights. Nice. Thank you again. Thank you. 